Hi. And welcome back to Contourcast. My name's Cat Boyd. Oh, I'm joined with my co-host, David Jameson. I thought I was going to have to say that myself there. David Jameson. Do you know, it's been so long since we've done a pod mm. that I have forgotten how to, <laughs> forgotten how to talk yeah. into a microphone. Yeah. It has been a number of weeks. We're sorry about that. We will get back onto a regular schedule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess we've just both been busy. Pretty busy. You left the country during the... During the... During the, the, for the, Brexit the, day. The historic day yeah. of Brexit. No, I know. Um, I was in Vienna. The true home of fascism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, and psychoanalysis. I was doing it. some um, armchair psychoanalysis earlier with a friend, and they referred to me as Sigmund Boyd. Sigmund Boyd. <laughs> I, yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, that, that I was, was good. doing some psychoanalysis of our dear politicians uh-huh, yeah. and what might motivate them. Well, yeah. Um, a lot to discuss on that front. Mm. On the in the first month of twenty twenty, the SNP has finally and completely and brutally shagged it. <laughs> you keep trying to like bring these, these phrases in yeah. of like like basically they've made an arse of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but what was the other one? Fuck the dog. F the dog. Yeah. Jesus. I know. I yeah. don't know that that genuinely brings images to mind <laughs> do not do good things for the face of civic nationalism yeah yeah <laughs> really like, yeah. i'm not sure but, but yeah. it's not it's not been good for the snp no no not over the last few days um although there's more to come right well yeah um not good for the snp not good for the independence movement and it's been a kind of bizarre combination of on the one hand the SNP's strategy for securing an independence referendum, such as it is, I'm not actually even convinced they want an independence referendum anymore, but such as it was, it's completely fallen apart. Um, requested an independence referendum again through Scottish Parliament. Uh, Boris Johnson said no again, as everybody knew he would. And uh, now that's just uh, collapsed. Uh, there's no apparent way forward. Uh, for the SNP strategy, but the reason that we are saying it's not been a good week for them is the the finance minister Derek Mackay resigned the day sure. before the budget yeah. after um, the text pest. I I, mean, I don't know what to call <laughs> is it. Is like, that the I think we're both sort of like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was uh, well, that came out the day before the budget that he was supposed to deliver. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and and we'll see where the story goes. But there's already been new developments. So after that, sixteen-year-old boy, it's now come out that uh, Nicholas Sturgeon banned him from drinking at conferences, uh, and that there have been other accusations, and there have been allegations that the SNP tried to stop the story coming out. Uh, all so it started off messy, and, and it's, it's going to get yeah, messier. It's getting messier, yeah. and obviously then there's still. The salmon trial, trial to yeah. come, and there was the news story today about they're suspending the party conference. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. I mean, I've been work all day, so I've skimmed the news. Sorry. So the uh, coming again as the tradition of this podcast, we're going to be incredibly uninformed. Yeah. Um, so the SNP uh, 
mainly it's God's punishment on me that uh, they inflict two SNP conferences on me every single year, one in the spring and one in autumn. Why they need two is unclear because uh, they don't tend to like things to get decided at those conferences. Yeah, but let's so two be massive honest, rallies. Right, as yeah. two honest trots sitting here, yeah. we love a conference, David. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. whenever there's a crisis... Mm-hmm. And we have a little discussion Put on a and get together. The answer is always <laughs> get a conference on the go. We yeah, need to yeah. have a conference. Yeah. So I understand the SMP wanting to have two. Yeah. Like two big rallies. Two. That's what it is. It's two giant rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, although I can. Do you remember? Like, and it feels almost like a lifetime ago. But do you remember the foam hands that they had? That was like oh I'm with God. Nicola. Yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah. That was 2015, wasn't it? Yeah. No, actually, I think it was the one in 2014. It was 2014. It was after. The it was referendum. after. It was the November after the referendum because mm-hmm. the Radical Independence Conference was held at next the same door. time. Yeah. At the same time, yeah. And yeah, they were in the uh, hydro. Aye. Yeah, and um, I always remember watching the. A band called the Red Hot Chili Pipers were playing at it. It was cringeworthy, man. It was it was appalling. But that was a massive rally. Yeah. And it's incredible to think that the momentum of that party has gone from that intense kind of I say rock star atmosphere. I mean Bay City Rollers, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but incredible that we've gone from that uh, to where we are now. Uh, which is just a sort of dead end. And the really peculiar thing about this is the SNP are still pulling in votes like nobody's business. That's because there's no one else there's to no vote for. no one else to vote for. <laughs> so I've been thinking about how to talk about this because, well, obviously, over the, I was saying to you before we started recording the pod that at the weekend like I had a total meltdown on Twitter. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? That all the Twitter classics and um, <laughs> deleted tweets thing had locked my account for half an hour. <laughs> yeah. And just take the pressure off. And but the reason I had done that is because I tweeted some um, home truths about the EU mm. and about Brexit. Never Day. wise in Scotland. But Brexit Day in particular being like nothing's happened. Like, yeah. literally nothing has happened today. And the reason I'm saying that is I'm not saying that no one's been affected by Brexit. Of course, people I know people have been affected. But what I was trying to say is that for three plus years, there are a number of politicians, high-powered business people, chief executives, the people who make the decisions about the economy have been saying, when Brexit goes through, there will be chaos. Yeah, It'll yeah. be like... Yeah, you know, and now people... it will be the end of the world, plague of locusts, disease, yeah. pestilence. Do you know what I mean? It will be that sort of. Yeah, and it was damage. it was used to browbeat people as well. Yeah. It was used to say, "How dare you say that this vote should be respected when it's going to kill people?" I mean, people were actually saying that it's going to kill people. I remember right? getting into a Twitter argument about like maybe <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, don't you? You're no, laughing, no. like people saying, "If you think Brexit's okay and should be respected, then you want." so-and-so in my family to die because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not going to get medication. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, of called, course I'm not saying that. I'm not fucking psychopath. It's called ableist because, you know, you don't depend on drugs that everyone... everyone. But how do they know that about you? Do you know what nah, I mean? I don't know. I don't know. But you know, by that starts point... starts to have fucking crazy pills as far as anyone... <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? Yeah, yeah. There's this, like, assumption that, that you're being unnecessarily 
cruel. So when I'm saying like, I actually do think that the vote has to be respected, which has been my position since it happened. Yeah. I never thought that a second referendum was in any way a good idea. Of course not. We would. By um, the way, they, we now know they would have lost. They would have lost. And can you imagine the momentum that people like the far right would have had at that point? It's. I mean, because you, they would be running a campaign off the back of the establishment are telling mm. you to you got it wrong to mm. vote again. I mean, it would have been. Disastrous. I don't think, and I think there's a lot of close. socialists that need to look at themselves over the role that they played in shifting the Labour Party's position. Absolutely, absolutely. And killed off, you know, an insurgent movement to move the Labour Party to the left, which is not going to be recapitulated. I mean, with the best will in the world to people who support Rebecca Long Bailey and all this kind of stuff, it's just it's not Corbynism, and it's not she's not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's. I mean, if you look at the statistics inside the Labour Party, it's tragic. Since the election, uh, most people have concluded that they had the right policy on Brexit and that the thing that they got wrong is that the policies were too left-wing. And I remember saying, I remember saying on the night of the election, you have to choose which narrative you have. Was it Brexit or was it the policies? And most people have decided it's the policies. And any poll, in, poll will tell you it's the opposite. And that's the, the policies are popular. That's the death knell for like the left-wing Labour Party. Yeah. So I think... In terms of like Corbyn and what he brought to the party is that we have to cast our minds back to when he was elected leader of the party. The Labour Party was ideologically dead. Yeah. There was no signs of intellectual life there at all. Its membership was stale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very middle like, class, well, very old. So when Corbyn comes along, he brings with it whether people like it or not, but he brought a resurgence of intellectual life, yeah. like and debate and thought and how can we do things and no, that's not to everyone's taste, but it made politics quite exciting that you then have this mass membership. Not everyone, of course, supporting Corbyn, but on the whole, this is like a new mm-hmm. demographic of people joining the Labour Party and the the biggest party in Europe at one point, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. like per capita. So, like Corbynism brought a lot of great things but that question of brexit and the position on the vote is i mean i think it just cut the legs yeah from him yeah so this is the the kind of double-edged sword because i do agree with the analysis about brexit to an extent being people say protest vote i'm not sure i like the idea of a protest vote Mm. because i don't think that people go into a polling station and they're like oh i'm gonna show them I think it's much more subtle than yeah. that. Um, I think it's about who is to blame for a decade of austerity. Mm-hmm. Who's to blame? Like, and it's about pun- it's about punishing authority rather than protest. So I think yeah, it's yeah. more about betrayal and backlash and punishment than it is about I'm just going to not I'm not going to do what they tell me. Like I don't buy that stuff. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that if you're a politician, you can't fucking say that mm-hmm. because then you're saying, "Listen, we know you voted to leave." We know you didn't really mean it. <laughs> you and were we angry. Not, you're not ang- you were angry, yeah. but you weren't angry at the right people. So we're going to show you who to be angry at. And you double down on the... Of nah, But you're, we're not actually listening to you. It's infuriating because I think what people don't understand is it wasn't that Labour didn't inspire people. Millions of working class people actually turned out in that election to punish the Labour Party. That's what people don't understand. Like, there was a, there was a will to punish... Labour for that and that 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 wasn't seen coming 
tells you a lot about the mentality of where the Corbyn project ended up and how detached from any wider society it's become. Appallingly, some of the some of the fallout after you know some of the analysis is saying things like maybe we just need to abandon the north, and you just think. Because the, because there's a new working class developing in the south in like tech towns and campus towns and stuff. You're talking rubbish. Yeah. Like you're talking rubbish and you're abandoning the idea of any national political project because it's too hard. Yeah. And it's too hard to go out and recruit people to socialism if they don't share all your sort of cultural markers and stuff like that. But I think like what the thread is here about Brexit I mean, we're using Brexit as an example of why Labour did so badly in the general election, but mm-hmm. what happened to Labour in the general election has already happened to Labour in Scotland. Yeah. And it happened around another constitutional question. Mm-hmm. And Labour, I think, has a massive issue in dealing with the constitutional crises yeah. that exist right now. How many times have you heard, ah, people aren't asking that on the doorsteps? I know. Is that what's the phrase that they use as a gas and water socialism? Yeah, like yeah. the you the know bread and butter issues. Yeah, yeah, so it's that sort of like the issues of the common man. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? All that sort of bullshit that you know people aren't talking about constitutional mm-hmm. issues on they're the doorstep. Not talking about politics. They're talking yeah. about like, economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's something dumb like like that's the sort of dumb line that you hear from a lot of people in Labour, but I I think that those constitutional issues they express themselves in a particular way which isn't people saying well actually yes i would like to talk to you about the constitution it's people Mm. saying well who's in charge and who decided that and who said that was illegal or who said that was legal Mm -hmm. does my vote count yeah is anyone listening to me they are constitutional and democratic questions the labor party has not been able to answer yeah i mean i think if you if you switch out constitution for democratic that's that's what like, people what people in Labour don't understand. These are vitally important democratic issues, and you know I know that the the consciousness that led to the Brexit vote was confused and stuff, right? Mm. But the reality is that that response to leave the European Union uh, is actually a correct challenge to something <laughs> that's grossly undemocratic. Yeah. This is the other thing that annoys me about this is like. That I was, I was, I was also very disappointed by the scenes on Brexit Day, right? I mean, you both in London and in Glasgow, you had sort of two rallies in Glasgow. You had two rallies, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think one of them is really any more progressive or serious-minded or sober than the other. I think that basically what you had um, was two groups of people who are deeply attached to two reactionary institutions, the European Union and the British state, which, by the way, share a lot in common. And not even just that they share a lot of characteristics. They are both deeply involved in each other. People forget the British state is one of the founding and most important institutions of the modern European Union. One of the most important architects of the European Union is Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Right, people have a fantasy land understanding of that these are the the true opposites in modern politics. But they think, absolutely are not. I think it, the way that the EU has been portrayed over the last maybe like few weeks, I would say, so like the lead up to Brexit Day on Brexit. <laughs> Why are we call it Brexit Day? <laughs> Just like 
that's so dumb. <laughs> um, and afterwards, um, so like I'm walking around and people have got EU flags hanging out their window, mm. I, which I just find baffling. But for me, the EU is actually quite it's a fascinating institution mm-hmm. because you're right in saying like. Britain was instrumental in the establishment of the EU. Margaret Thatcher was instrumental in the establishment of the EU. Um, and there's always been a historic left-wing opposition to the <laughs> yeah, EU. No, no. But this is, so like Tony Benn's classic opposition of like, this is an institution of capitalism. I, I, I think that stands. Mm-hmm. But what has happened to the EU is that it has adopted part of the left's language mm-hmm. like integration demo- democracy yeah. internationalism like community building like all of that stuff right so my point is this that is neoliberalism that's what neoliberalism does mm. it just it colonizes everything in its path and that's what the eu is doing yeah and i think that to be honest the left need to grasp that mm-hmm. i mean the eu now is not the same as it was. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you take someone like Jim Sellers, the architect of independence in Europe mm-hmm. back in the day, ask Jim Sellers now. No, I know. No, he's and he has changed his mind. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that's the only people right now in politics that I respect are people who are like maintaining this authenticity and consistency in their politics. And consistency doesn't mean banging out the same line that you were in In the 1980s in the 80s when your party decided to be pro-european or pro-european union rather like people have to analyze the situation at hand and develop your ideas based on a theoretical framework do you know like yeah yeah. that sounds that sounds very academic and geeky but this is this is the thing is the eu is i mean it's like the most incredible example of how neoliberalism actually operates and now and the fact that people think that this is a progressive organization is like and it's beyond question i know leave a light on for us leave a light on beam for us. me up i know beam me up i know I, the, the the horror of it is and i know that many people who wave a european flag and so on do it because they think it's like a symbol of I don't know tolerance. The resistance. the resistance. It's it's the equivalent of wearing a pink pussy hat. Yeah, the thing that um, sort of annoyed me so much uh, there was, you know, this you get people saying, "Oh, look, obviously this is a divisive issue on the left or something like that." I don't think it's an acceptable divisive issue. Like I don't think it's acceptable that um, some people have an attitude about the European Union, which is pure fiction. Mm. pure fiction this isn't like this isn't shades of disagreement like the European Union is the complete opposite of what you think it is Mm. the complete opposite and the and the consequences for that by the way are dire because ideology doesn't last forever right now a section of the population believes that the European Union (coughs) is a progressive institution yeah that will not last and cannot last because that perception of it cannot survive the reality, the material reality yeah. of what the European Union is. And we are going to find out more and more about that reality because the European Union is going to have a ver- another very difficult 10 years yeah. by all accounts and it's going to be exposed again. And the painful thing is that the last 10 years began with the collapse of Syriza in the face of the European Union 
and ended with the collapse of Corbynism in the face of the European Union. How anyone can look at those 10 years and not draw a really simple lesson about what the relationship should be between the left and globalised capitalism is totally beyond yeah. me. And we got is, screwed twice. And this is what I think I started saying. We, I think we went off on a... I went off on a tangent about the European Union. But when I started saying I'm trying to find the right way to express like some thoughts I'm having at the moment about Scotland in that context because I feel like if I say these certain words together then it's like it's just going to be a, a mess right because mm. I understand why it might come across as brutal but this is why I see increasingly the SNP as a neoliberal party mm -hmm. right? now what I'm what I mean when I'm saying that is not that they have neoliberal policies. I think they're socially liberal, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked. I think we've talked about this on the pod before. But there is that David Adler article where he talked about like the, these three parts where um, so three registers yeah. express themselves, um, and it's <clears throat> integration or disintegration. Um, inclusionist or exclusionist and redistributionist mm -hmm. or like concentrative like in terms of wealth mm -hmm. and increasingly I see that this integrationist versus disintegrationist like the left is in this integrationist camp which means like expanding institutions integrationally but that means things like the EU NATO um, do you know what Big I mean? Trade like, agreements. Yeah, trade yeah. agreements or, I mean, NATO and the SNP's attitude towards NATO should have been very clear signs on what would happen if there was to be a referendum on Europe where the UK voted leave. Mm -hmm. I mean, that should have given a really clear indication of what the SNP would do in response because they will they will look for that integrationist solution mm -hmm. um, and choose to integrate with the US imperial project in Europe. That's yeah. what, I mean, that's what NATO is. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's nothing else apart from that. So, the, the phrase that, I mean, we've been using recently to describe the SNP's policies is this capitalist internationalism. Mm. Which I think <clears throat> makes a lot of sense in terms of having a, you could have an independent Scotland where uh, currency is dictated by the Bank of England, where trade is dictated by the European Union mm -hmm. and where foreign policy is linked to Washington. Mm -hmm. And that's not a situation that, that I, I think most people would want to see. No, I mean... So I, this is why I'm like say, using the word neoliberalism <clears throat> deliberately in the same way I'm describing the European Union. What happens when neoliberalism begins to churn those things down is that ideas become conformist, they become stale. There's no like ideological... Tension. Tension. There's no ideological battle. So if someone can tell me, in the SNP right now, where the ideological tensions are playing out, because mm. I do not see them. And this is what happened to New Labour. Mm. Like this is actually what Labour Party looked like mm -hmm. in 2015. Do you know what I mean there was no ideological debate? They had accepted truths, and I do like big scare quotes for that. They had accepted truths like mm, austerity is necessary, but we may not agree with the Tories' pace. Yeah, yeah. So they had conformed to certain ideas. Another idea that <clears throat> a political party could conform to is the idea that the, the EU is a progressive 
yeah. organization, which is what the SNP are doing. So I'm not sitting here as some like far lefty being like, oh, they're not left wing enough. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm mm. saying is that neoliberalism, despite being fatally wounded since the 2008 crash, has not died and it is con- still consuming everything in its path. Yeah, yeah. In- including in Scotland. That locust-like quality of it is something to behold, as you say, well over a decade from a crisis which should have exposed it to its own destruction. Um, but we, but, but the left, partly because, partly because the left has decided to swing to to be, to, to basically be hegemonised by it. Uh, at crucial junctures, at crucial moments. Uh, that's a big part of the reason why it's still about. But I think like people need to understand something, right? The SNP are not the adults in the room. Their view of the world is total ideological nonsense and fantasy, right? So And, and it's taken them to some very, very peculiar territory. Now that we've left the European Union, and the drag in Scottish politics around this question is something to behold. The whole point of independence in Europe wasn't to integrate the Scottish economy to European economies. It was to integrate the Scottish economy of an independent Scottish state with the UK. Because, of course, when independence in Europe was dreamt up, you could see a situation where no matter... You know, if Scotland become independent, it's still in the same... Uh, Customs union still in the same single market. It's still governed by all of the same institutions, regardless of its independence. That situation has now become its opposite. So independence in Europe, if actually pursued now, and it won't be, but in, because because they're not pursuing another independence referendum, that strategy pursued now would do the opposite of what it was intended to do. It would lock Scotland out of its most important markets in England. And despite that, no one has acknowledged this. Uh, no one has said, well, maybe we need to rethink European Union membership. Because that dogma of that being Scotland's place as an independent country is now so ingrained. And because the SNP itself has purged dissent on the question. So there's no alternative leadership waiting in the wings to say, ditch that EU crap and let's start talking about EFTA, for example. Because it's so taboo. It is so taboo to say that in the SNP, which does not have a remotely internal, healthy, democratic yeah. culture. And you'd have to say that's probably true of much wider layers of pro-independent sentiment, that it's very good at erecting taboos, yeah. that you, things that you can't talk about. I think this is why, like, when I'm talking about um, Scotland and politics and neoliberalism, I'm not necessarily... This is not a moral case I'm making, by the way. Mm. I, like, I know that you know that, but I'm mm. not making a moral case in the SNP or um, capitulating or anything like that. I'm just saying like, this is the nature of neoliberalism. And unless you're actually actively resisting neoliberalism, it will consume you. Yeah. Like, it will consume your organisation. It will consume your institution. And we've seen that time and time again. Um, there was the interview... <clears throat> Uh, I watched on Hard Talk mm. with Stephen Sackler interviewing Ian Blackford. Mm. Um, and I mean, this is like BBC serious journalist. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not it, it's not an allies show. Yeah, yeah, yeah? yeah, yeah. And it's certainly not coming from a pro-independence perspective. So it's not someone who's like outflanking 
Ian Blackford on a wanting independence mm -hmm. position. But when Sackler is questioning him about the strategy of the SNP to get independence, given that Boris Johnson has said no, mm -hmm. Blackford cannot provide answers. Yeah, yeah I know. He cannot provide answers. So he instead talks about how successful a year it's been electorally for the SNP. True. Mm -hmm. It has been massively yeah, yeah. successful. Um, they've really shored up their support in Scottish no politics. Question, yeah. um, although I'm not sure that's a like necessarily a great thing for like the the pro independence movement. No, no, no. So I mean, there's not really anyone else to vote for though. Mm -hmm. So he's you know talking about the results of the European elections, um, and then. Stephen Sackler says, but that's not going to make a difference, is it? Mm. That doesn't change anything. And he's right. And I'm sitting there, like, watching this BBC journalist, and I'm like, he's right. He's asking the questions that I want to ask. Like, what's the plan? Mm. What's your strategy? You know that Boris Johnson's going to say no. You've got Joanna Cherry who wants to take us down a legal route to rely on the very institutions yeah, yeah, yeah. that hold the laws that says our parliament can't have a referendum. Hey, it's bizarre. And see, I mean, it's... It's bizarre, like, so there's no real, there's no plan. And when Sackler presses him again, Blackford then says, the Scots are a, th a thrown lot, like, mm -hmm. or like something like along those lines, like so appealing to that, like that awful, like tourist tap shop coaster selection. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and that idea of Scottish national character that's just totally it's like patronising and ridiculous. That salt and sauce thing. Oh yeah, you were BBC about. have given up trying to deliver serious news content to Scots and have decided that correctly the best thing to do is to send to sell us loads of little kind of mini documentaries about how people on the east coast eat salt and sauce and people on the west coast have salt and vinegar on their chips. Uh, and I did think clever move clever move because what in, in Scotland there's such a culture and such an economy being created around pandering to a basically nonsense clownish vision of Scottish national character and who we are and aren't we plucky aren't we eccentric you know do you remember when you got a, a, a right bollocking for pointing out the, that ridiculous Scottish government advert was it a Scottish government advert with, oh my uh, god, this isn't peak nationalism, is it? Aye, oh, aye. that was a Twitter whitey. <laughs> and it was sort of, um, it was part of this, uh, there's another one, there's a Scottish government one about geese peace. Do you remember oh. that one, right? We don't like conflict in Scotland. Geese peace, we're inclusive, blah blah blah, what a load of shite, right? What, what a bizarre load of ideological, again, uh, complete... Uh, nonsense. But yeah, I mean, this is something that people in Scotland are very happy to deploy. It's such a scam. Yeah. And it's deployed simultaneously by things like the SNP, by things like Creative Scotland. Yeah. There's a whole industry around talking think, utter shit to us. <laughs> but I think that this appeals to, like, anyone's sense of vanity. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to be told something about themselves or Aren't to you read unique? about themselves. Yeah. But that's why things like tarot and astrology are all so popular mm -hmm. is because we are living in a culture of narcissism and people want to hear about themselves so I'm not convinced that it's entirely a uniquely Scottish no, sure, thing yeah. 
It's just our um, version of it. It's our version of it. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is back to this point of like Scotland's relationship with neoliberalism as Scotland. So <clears throat> in the past when we've talked about neoliberalism and we've talked about I mean like when we I suppose I'm talking about people in like radical independence or rise or whatever. Yeah. When we've talked about it before we always kinda of talk about neoliberalism in Scotland as being a relationship that Scotland has with Britain. Mm. So like Scotland's establishment and things like that are part of its British character. So, you know, it's not Patrick Harvey, it's the Duke of the Clue. Yeah, <laughs> They're like yeah. two aspects of different national characters. But the more I think about it, the more I can see neoliberalism in Scotland, the, the relationship there and how neoliberalism's tentacles are kind of really in deep, especially in terms of Scottish culture. There is <clears throat> a guy who... I think maybe it was like last SNP conference because of course our conferences are suspended now mm. yeah. um, because too much democracy too many trials too many trials <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean you can't have conferences if you've got all that like all that bubbling under the surface yeah or like spilling out on the front pages and then yeah. right under the surface Sp- spilling out on the conference floor I mean it's serious it's, that's, yeah. that's what they're trying to avoid yeah um, but I would think it was like maybe the last conference and an old I think an SNP activist got up to speak and he called Boris Johnson like a muckleglakant numpty or something oh, like that. Jesus. And there's part of me that feels I feel really sorry for people who that's their that's the way that they talk. Because what's happened is the way they talk has been co opted into a fucking mug. Oh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? yeah. like, like an overpriced mug. On the Royal Mail, <laughs> I know that tourists will take home to their granny, and now your the your language. So my dad's really in a Scots language, mm-hmm. um, but it's like now the way that you talk or you might have grown up speaking and mm-hmm. uh, hearing those words is now just tourist Re- fodder. Yeah, it's repackaged for this yeah. shit. So, I mean, Scottish and it's sold back to me. us. Yeah. So it's not just tourist shops. It's like. You know those weird amorphous gift and card and candle shops that you get? Mm-hmm. Do you know the things I'm talking about? Like, yeah. if you wanted to get a present for your mom, where would you go? Yeah. And they sell, like, fancy scarves. They sell a lot of it's Prosecco time <laughs> yeah, stuff. Cards, yeah. yeah. But they always sell, like, a wee tote bag with a Tunnock's tea cake or yeah. a coaster with Numpty written on it. Yeah. Or, yeah, some, some sort of little bra. Or phrase Trump's a bohead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. So it's the kind of yeah, the tartan neoliberalism is. Uh, yeah, tartan neoliberalism. Let's make that a whole theory. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's appalling, but needless to say, for now, the situation with the SNP looks grim, and yet, it's sort of like permafrost. I don't think they're going anywhere because no. the opposition is so shit beyond. Belief. But I'm also like, there has been so much. And Wings has gone. <laughs> Wings has chucked it. So well, that's when you know it's bad. I mean, so Wings has chucked it until Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Morell are away because he doesn't want to pretend there's going to be an independence referendum because there isn't going to be. Mm-hmm. We fucking told you this. Like, I <laughs> hate to be that guy. Yeah. But did we? Am yeah. I misremembering? Did we not say that and get absolutely hammered for I t- it? I tell you what else we got absolutely hammered for. Point out that Corbynism, <laughs> that the confluence of Corbynism and Brexit represented a unique 
junctural opportunity for the Scottish independence movement. And hey, presto. What do you mean by jun- junctural like opportunity? A, you know, like a, a unique kind of conjuncture in the development of British politics. The, the British state crisis that, I mean... We get made fun of for the same crisis over and over again, right? But see, that, but it is a fucking crisis. <laughs> but, it is a crisis. But see, for now, Boris Johnson has foreclosed it. I mean, he has he has effectively <clears throat> not all aspects, and it will reemerge and stuff like that. But for now, he has shut down Brexit by bringing it under control and reconciling the state to the majority vote, uh, which is always probably the wisest ruling class strategy faced by okay. that vote. And he has resolved the Scottish independence question for now by sheer intransigence and by making it clear that the traditional route by which independence was sought in 2014 is dead. Um, so, but this is the thing, right? Those two things, and he's uh, smashed Corbynism completely, right? Those three things were closely connected. If, 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 if Corbynism could be defeated, it was always going to be a setback for Scottish independence. People didn't want to hear it. Because, listen, that, that, that was the last time that the UK Labour Party will ever even hint at the idea that it would accept an independence mm. referendum. Mm. Do you know, did you see yeah. one of Nicola Sturgeon's advisors has resigned and said this? Said, the next opportunity for independence will be the next Labour government. And I'm sorry to say that the next Labour government is, is a long going way to be off. Very fucking long way off. I tell you, I cannot see any of those candidates that are standing ever there accepting ever. an independent referendum. Never been fucking prime minister, so I am swearing a lot tonight. <laughs> um, but I feel, I feel energized with my rage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's the mess in Scotland. Uh, there must be something happier happening something else. Uh, Trump's having a good time. Trump's having a wonderful time. He is the funniest president. I mean... Yes. There, that is the funniest. True. The funniest political figure ever I in mean, our lifetimes. The moments after the impeachment verdict is read, he tweets the video that Time magazine made about how Trumpism outlast Trump and it's got the dates mm-hmm. of like so it's like Trump 2020 Trump 2024 it just goes on and on and on and on and on and then yeah. it's like Trump 90,000 and then it's Trump mm-hmm. forever yeah and he tweeted that I he mean tweeted. that's hilarious I genuinely think that's funny yeah I mean he uh, it's it's astonishing to see someone he has zero sense of sort of you know, the propriety that normally associates politics. As soon as he beats his enemies, he starts rubbing their face. Oh, I know. And will not stop. Um, uh, <laughs> and people love him for it. I mean, people but love this him is for the, it. But this is the thing. It's like, that's very, like, American pop culture, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very kind of psycho and all that yeah. kind of stuff. No. Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a lot like that kind of wrestling. And, um, I mean, <clears throat> he's flying in the polls. Uh, and everyone said by this point, you know what I mean, he would have turned America into a complete bin fire and everyone would hate him and all this kind of stuff. He's flying in the polls, the Democrats are making themselves look like complete idiots. His personal approval rating is like 50%, which is very, very high. It's our madness. His approval rating, if you remember, do you remember all the way back at the election, the relationship between him and the Republican Party collapsed? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now he, there's like literally no one standing against him. No one. The Republican Party uh, support for him something like 97%. So he has 
taken over. The, Trumpism has taken over the Republican Party. Most of the neoconservatives, even, who used to oppose him, have stopped. Yeah. And now just spend their time baiting the left and trying to make money in the media circuit by yeah. baiting the left. Very, very few. Even That's a very lucrative career. Very, very lucrative We've career. talked about that in terms of Piers Morgan, because obviously yeah. he has a different character in America. Yeah. yeah. He plays a different He plays role. a liberal over there, yeah. yeah. He plays a... a um, but, the, the, and, and, and as well, like, people, the... Uh, American presidents tend to be returned to a second term when they're doing one of two things. Being seen to lead a, a, a strong economy, strong even just in the terms of American capitalists, or fighting a war. Mm. Uh, now, Trump's economy, um, I mean, <laughs> he's flooding the world system with dollars, right? And uh, and for now, yeah, yeah, it's he's building up speculative bubbles and bullshit and all this kind of stuff and they're all going to pop. But right now, it works. You know what I mean? He's reduced unemployment a lot. The economy's growing a lot. Like, if you were inside the kind of left-wing, even the broad left-wing bubble, you might not know that. But he has supercharged the economy by doing things that in the long run are reckless, but in the long run, he can't run for a third time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... He's very strong. Because he has a speculative bubble in his brain. <laughs> yeah, he is. I don't like. I, I, I think once you really tap into Trump's sense of humor, he seems a lot less. He might have had a head injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, and the Democrats have done everything in the last week. This is this has been his best week. Trump's best week. Yeah. Since he became president. Because the Democrats in the last week, between the stupid impeachment nonsense uh, and the ridiculous Iowa shit, wow, are just making themselves wow. look fucking terrible. Terrible. Wow. I mean, I was, um, in terms of like the Iowa caucuses, I was getting a train dead early in the morning at like half five in the morning. So I thought I'll check the, I'll be able to like, you know, mm-hmm. check and see how it's going. So when I like looked at Twitter, I was like, what? is happening because mm-hmm. that was when it was first starting to say like there's going to be delays this app isn't working so long story short Buttigieg and Sanders are both claiming victory yeah yeah but <clears throat> Bernie rightly points out that the reason he's claiming victory is because he got more votes mm-hmm. he got 6,000 more votes but yeah the way that the calculus works is that it puts them almost on even keel yeah and, and the way that um the way it was decided how many delegates went to either candidate because oh. it broke down. There were images of people flicking coins, then looking at the coin and then turning it over to make sure that Buttigieg got more delegates. I mean, it was just open corruption. The The system was totally ridiculous. Um, and, you know, it just... It works in Trump's favour so much. It was a major phenomenon that, that the Democratic Party carved Bernie Sanders out in the last in his race and his run off against Clinton, right? Hell dog. <laughs> it, um, it, it went way beyond the left. It wasn't just people on the left who knew that this had happened. Trump used it really effectively to say, these people are corrupt. They are corrupt. He's in such a strong position to say, if you can't run a primary election, do you know what I mean? Yeah. How, the f- how are you going to run the, the country? Thing. This is the thing. So... Actually, I think that there are elements of the 
establishment within the Democratic Party, they would obviously rather see another Trump term yeah. than Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Of course they would. Right? Because actually, for Dems, it's, it's their version of the lucrative career. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Doing the resistance the, is also a lucrative career. Yeah, the like scare quotes, the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of really American online left, they would rather do that than have Bernie. They would rather have themselves, you know, be in opposition to Trump on the outside. Wearing the pussy hats. Wearing the pussy hats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And thinking they're the good guys in Star Wars and Harry Potter or whatever it is. Yeah, they think they're the good guys in Harry Potter. I don't know. I think Harry Potter is the good guy in Harry Potter. (laughs) I I have literally no idea. Yeah. I have Um, no idea. And like Trump's the bad one. Yeah. Some evil wizard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so out of touch. Yeah. On that song. Oh, no, I was thinking of, you know, the, the Hill Dog song. This is my fight song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Take back my life song. I won't be able to get that out of my head. Sorry. Uh, yeah. uh, I think I went through a phase of like listening to that a lot. I think I might have already done that song on the pod for some time before. Yeah. I yeah. think we have done a whole bit about Hillary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we could bring that. We could bring that song back. But the new song is this Buttigieg dance. Oh yes, this that one about high high hopes for a living or whatever, and they're all dancing. And they're all dancing. It's such ah, a shame. So ah, it makes me like. It makes me want to cry. You know when you see something that's just like, really, sad and quite lonely looking. Yeah. Like, an old man on a park bench, you know, goes into Feeding his pocket ducks. and takes out a little tinfoil wrap and opens it and then it's stale bread and he starts feeding... Something like that uh, will make me cry. Yeah. And that's the same way you feel about kind of centrist Democrats dancing. Yeah. I'm like, song. how did it come to this? Yeah. Why, how, how, like, how is your life so hollow? Yeah. Because, see, what I, this is what I don't understand about that kind of politics in general. Buddha Judge, whatever his fucking name is, is obviously a hollow man. He obviously doesn't believe anything. What compels you to follow him and to volunteer hours and hours and hours of your time for this obviously phony project? He's he's a he's a fake person. Yeah, yeah, like he's a fabrication. Well, I think I mean he's some kind of bot. Like, see, you just like. <laughs> I mean, has anyone seen Beetle recently? No, no, no. Because <laughs> Beetle went back into the cupboard and they brought out some other, like, stop Bernie bot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, totally. To, to, to run. Like, he came from nowhere, right? I know there was all the, like, Mayor Pete hashtags. But he came from nowhere. Trump doesn't even have a nickname for him. Now, are you really a presidential candidate if you aren't Crazy Bernie or Sleepy Joe, or Pocahontas, do you know what I mean? Like, are you... <laughs> yeah, are you even there? Um, nah, he's a, he's a nightmare. He's a nightmare of a human being. Uh, spiritually dead. Uh, there's nothing there, there's nothing going on. Not, as you say, can't even elicit a wee name from, from Donald Trump. So I, I mean, the situation as it stands is Trump is doing very well, and if the Democrats have their way and kill off Bernie Sanders... It'll be more Trump. Be I more also Trump. think that even at this stage, like right now, following like the impeachment and Iowa, um, and that f- 
Nancy Pelosi ripping up that speech, which I just thought was super so cringe, lame. wasn't it? Terrible. It was like, mm-mm. Yeah. And everyone's like, yes, queen. And I'm like, <laughs> burn it down. Just get me out of here. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, the absolute worst. And then she went and did a, a press conference with that Juan Guaido guy, right? Who is the phony puppet president that the United States have elected in a foreign country in Venezuela. Oh. <laughs> hey, no one recognised Nancy him. Pelosi. Defender of freedom and democracy. <laughs> Nancy Justice. Pelosi held this uh, press conference and he was, you know, he was introduced as fucking El Presidente Venezuela and it's like, uh, what? No one in Venezuela thinks he's the president. They Rip know up he's his not. his speech, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so uh, Pelosi is an absolute horror. So yeah, I think like where it stands now, Trump is the favourite, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'd say so. Even against Bernie, but Bernie is the only way of defeating Bernie, Trump. Pa- Bernie can pull something out of the hat. Like, that's, the only, that's the only question. An insurgency can beat an insurgency. Um, I saw a really interesting tweet from that. His name uh, Quinn... Slobodin or something like that I can't remember he wrote he's got a book out called Globalists that's you know very good but he he tweeted um, basically how what happened in the American election was an insurgency within the Republican Party defeated the Republican establishment and the insurgency within the Democratic Party failed to defeat the establishment and so the Republican insurgency won right that's also exactly what happened in Britain I know Johnson's yeah, insurgency I against agree. the Tory establishment won, Jeremy Corbyn's failed, and hence Boris Johnson won. And it will be the same again. If Bernie Sanders is defeated by the establishment, Trump will beat the Democratic establishment. Which, by the way, is why Trump um, doesn't go after Sanders. It, I mean, he does that like crazy Bernie stuff, but he doesn't... I think that he... He doesn't want I to think inflate to, Sanders. I think to, because this is the thing, is that you cannot... You cannot go for Bernie Sanders the same way you would go for, like, Hillary Clinton. No. You just can't, because he is consistent. He is a consistent politician. Sanders just isn't a laughable figure. No. And all the other Democrats are laughable. And he, the thing I like about Sanders... Is the, there's a thing in British politics that I've always hated that was represented most specifically by New Labour, particularly Gordon Brown, which was the the fake charisma that politicians developed. Do you remember when there was all that stuff about like Gordon Brown having to learn to smile and all that? Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Like back in the day. You should have told them to go fuck themselves in yeah, retrospect. Yeah, because that's what Bernie would do. Yeah, yeah. I love the way that he is he to an ex like to an extent separates like his person from the politics. Like I have so much respect for that. Mm-hmm. I was reading a New York Times article where they asked I mean some really dumb questions. <laughs> but it's the New York Times and Bernie. So they I think they endorsed Klobuchar and Warren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so a losing ticket. Yeah. Well done, New York Times. So they have this interview with Bernie. And he sort of tells them off. (laughs) He's not trying to get their support one iota. It's It's not giving a shit. Because the people that Bernie's talking to don't read the fucking New York Times. Yeah. So they ask him, "Um, can you tell us about a time where someone broke your heart? And the transcript says, 
after a long pause. (laughs) He says, what? Personally? Yeah. And then he says, no, um, even if you're standing as a candidate for president of the United States, you're allowed a limited amount of privacy. Yeah. I really value, I think that that is a sign of like integrity and dignity that I want in politicians. Absolutely. I mean, I I may be being a bit harsh here, right, but... I watched a, 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 a speech that um, Ocasio-Cortez gave in, uh, I don't even know anything about American politics, one of the buildings that politicians sit in in American politics, and she was... Uh, <laughs> gleefully uninformed. Gleefully uninformed, and um, she was laying into poverty, and everything she said about poverty, about the way the narrative was constructed, about you know what real attack on poverty and inequality would look like, everything she said was golden, absolutely correct, and so on. But there's one thing about it that really bothered me, which is that she had to preface all of that good stuff that she said, all that hard politics and economics. She had to preface it by saying that she had grown up in poverty after her father died. And do you know what I mean? And there was a lot of that kind of stuff, right? And I think... I There's something about modern politics which I find loathsome, which is that constant attempt to appeal to a sense of your own authenticity and to try and convince people of it. And even when it's completely authentic, it always comes across as false. So not even in the Labour leadership contest as well, all the candidates being expected to tell you who they are and where they've come from and all that kind of stuff. Starmer talking about the working class upbringing you had and all that kind of stuff. This is the and thing. often it's just fake. But that's it's the totally thing fake. is like, when I'm seeing like in politicians, like dignity, authenticity and consistency, like Bernie has, um, or someone like Jim Sellers has, mm. like they have those kind of characteristics. These are public figures who are public intellectuals. Mm-hmm. Did I just compare Bernie Sanders and Jim Sellers? Yeah. That's cute, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need Jim, <laughs> Jim to run for I love f- Jim. first minister and a president. We don't always agree on everything, but uh, I have a lot of respect for Jim. Um, so, yeah, when I'm talking about authenticity, I'm talking about Bernie Sanders' record. He doesn't have to say, like, my lived experience is this. But he can say, when I fought for, because yeah, these are facts that were performed in public life. He doesn't use private experiences yeah. to make a general point. Yeah, He doesn't, like, it's this idea of, um, personalizing the universal or universalizing the particular mm-hmm. like you know and that the tension between those two things oh and on that um my favorite has been the harry potter thing right i mean I, I, <laughs> there's an interview where some archetypal millennial right it's so embarrassing uh i don't know there's some some he's talking some shit about something that's happened in harry potter right <laughs> <laughs> about how what is it like a little a uh, uh, a white uh, rag makes an elf go away or something like that right so you have no idea no I, no I, fucking like, idea I right? have no and clue. and so he, he he gives this little white rag to Barney Sanders right and says he is should, it not sports sock oh, I don't know right he says he should <laughs> wave it at some Republican politician who looks like a fucking elf or something to right? set. Set him free, set him, set him set free, him free. Or some yeah. shit, right? Um, and Barney Sanders is just looking at him 
with deadpan. deadpan. Yeah. And that's the true disdain when your face is not moving, right? And he just takes it and says, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I love that so much. It, it, gives, it gives me a sense of trust yeah. in Bernie Sanders. I believe off the basis of that interview and his <laughs> response, right, that if Bernie Sanders came under huge pressure from American big business to open some sort of new NAFTA-style uh, trade yeah. agreement, I believe after that interview that he wouldn't. Not after one where he, you know, talks about the evils of free trade and what it's done to Latin America. I trust him more because he doesn't like Harry Potter and he doesn't like no, to be talked no, to about that kind of not, cheap cultural shit. I would, I would suggest that's not. It's that, it's not that he doesn't like Harry Potter. It's that he doesn't pretend to like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know I mean, he doesn't perform the role that that millennial wants him to perform. Yeah. Do you know I mean, and there have been times where Bernie has done fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you seen the thing of him and Larry David standing next to each other? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's basically like, well, you know, if I win, then you'll be in a good line of work for a number of years. <laughs> yeah. But he did the, is it Saturday Night Live? I mm. don't know, one of those, like, lame... The basketball or something. And it was Slow Jam the News with Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Which is quite naff, but, like, a prime slot. And he was reading out the news whilst the jazz band played in the background. mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I swear this happened. I didn't dream this. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it is. I mean, the, yeah, the fact that he's not allowing himself to be fabricated actually makes me trust him. One of the most tragic ones I remember with poor old Gordon Brown was um, when he he was asked what his favourite biscuit was, and he said custard cream, uh, and that stuck with me. But imagine Gordon Brown had said, "Because the thing, the conventional wisdom in those days was he's seen as grumpy and withdrawn, right?" Imagine what Brown just said, I'm not talking to you about fucking biscuits. But perhaps not. Yeah. Leave the fuck out, maybe. But <laughs> like, that, I'm not talking to you about biscuits. Like, yeah. that's what I want in a politician. I don't, yeah. want, them, I don't want them to be like... Your pal or, or your next door neighbour. I mean, know. it works. Sometimes it only works when it's natural. Like, I still... One of my fondest memories of the December general election will be that like really cut it like when Corbyn was off the leash when he was just doing the thing that he'd done for decades just debating not running a party line not trying to do this Brexit position dance which you know he had to mm. perform um, but when he was just like being really savage on himself mm. and there was that um, debate night where they were asked what would you leave under the Christmas tree for your opponent and he said the christmas carol by charles dickens from mm-hmm. boris johnson which is like that's really you can tell that's not focus grouped yeah, yeah do you know what i mean you can tell that that's there's a humanity to that yeah i think yeah. but like those sort of like dumb millennial interviews that are you know try and humanize bernie sanders stop like, trying to humanize bernie sanders i don't want a human I don't want to know about Bernie's broken heart. Yeah. Jesus. I know. I, I know. I love that he keeps that private. It makes me have so much respect for him. Mm-hmm. I think private things should be kept private. Can I can I close this segment by um, saying something really brutal about the modern culture of politics and all this kind of stuff, right? And everything we've just been talking about, um, this constant self-referential thing, right? A big part of it stems from sheer intellectual laziness. Yeah. 
See if you want to be involved in politics at any level, as an activist, as a politician, as a writer, as a trade unionist, or whatever, right? What, what do you do? Do you um, get really interested in global economics or philosophy or public psychology or, you know, you name it, right? Abstract things that you need to read books to understand, right? Or do you get really, really inve invested in bullshit uh, film criticism or... Oh, wait, is that me? No. No. <laughs> or co commenting on every latest little celebrity scandal or talking endlessly about yourself. Wait, can I just say that talking about the celebrity scandals that I have had a very popular tweet about Prince Andrew. So that is me. Yeah. Talking endlessly about yourself. <laughs> Tech. Okay, continue. <laughs> but but that is a point though, isn't it? If if you if you were to tweet tomorrow about some boring shit about the environment or something, nobody gives a fuck, right? No. But you know, pedo prints, people do I, care. I, I mean, it was a six thousand likes for a cheap quip yeah. about Prince Andrew. Um, this is about the bells. Yeah, it's about Bell Sky News tweeted bells to ring out at Westminster Abbey to mark Prince Andrew's sixtieth birthday. So it tweeted I alarm bells <laughs> which got seven thousand six hundred and fifty likes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's more votes than Rye's got in the election. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, yeah. But you know, that is that is part of the kind of economy of politics like See, I think that like you either it's about how you relate to politics like this idea of are you particularizing the universal mm -hmm. or are you universalizing the particular experience and they right. are two different things mm -hmm. um yeah but that's a whole other pot yeah if we open that can of worms and start to go down that rabbit hole then mm -hmm. who knows where we'll end up and to find out, you need to listen to future editions of the Which will podcast. be on time. Yeah. What will, will, yeah, we'll do one in a week's time. Yeah, okay. Hmm, that sounds good. Um, what music will we have to play us out? <laughs> we went through some fucking wild <laughs> ideas before this. I don't know. We'll think of something. We'll think of something, yeah. Bye. Bye. I've just come down from the Isle of Skye I'm no very big and I'm awful shy And the lassies shout when I go by Darling, where's your trousers? Let the wind blow high, let the wind blow low Through the streets and my kintail go All the lassies say hello Darling, where's your trousers? Alas, he took me to a ball And it was slippery in the hall And I was fierce that I would fall for a hundred